Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water, to support women as leaders in the conservation movement, to ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and my co-host today, all the way from freezing cold South Carolina, is Morgan Harrell. Hey, Morgan. Hey. It is relatively freezing cold. It was 80 degrees last weekend, and I think it's like, you know, dropping down to like in the 60s now. So hurricane's coming and it's cold. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sorry. I had to poke a little fun at you. Uh, for listeners... We were just testing our audio and Morgan had to turn off her heater and go get a blanket to cut some background noise. So that's where that came from. Anyway, anyway, um, our guest today is Carlin Gill. Carlin, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. Um, Carlin is with NDA, the National Deer Association, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. But first, Carlin, if you would tell us about what's in your freezer. Oh, good question. Um, so I definitely have probably the last 20 pounds of ground venison from last season. So waiting to harvest and refill that. Um, I think I have some tanner crabs and probably a frozen pizza, if, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Wait, some, what did you say, tanner? Yeah, some tanner crabs. We actually uh, got to go to Alaska in February, my husband and I, and so they're still sitting in there frozen and waiting to be cooked. <laughs> That's so cool. Did you catch them, buy them? How did that come to be? Yeah, so I have some tanner crabs in our freezer. Uh, my husband and I went to Alaska um, this past February, and we pulled up crab cages um, in Seward Bay. So it was very fun. I think it's like 600 feet down or something like that that they crawl in there. It was really cool. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. I loved it. That does Do you get crabs? Why well, not on? I mean, on occasionally. You need some context to that question, Ashley. Yeah, sorry. Uh, the, the ocean kind. <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes when we get on the beach, we'll pick up some and throw it in our low country boil pot. Um, but, um, Carlin, that sounds amazing. So, my husband and I are talking about doing a trip. Um, and if we want to do something where we go hunting and we get wild game, he wants to make sure we're bringing the meat back. So, you, if it wasn't any problem bringing the crab back from Alaska? No, we didn't have any troubles. Um, we actually just flew it back with us. We had a cooler and I carried it on as my carry-on luggage and <laughs> had no issue. Yeah. I love that. Wow. I never even thought about that. Carry-on crabs. Love it. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <clears throat> well, that was a great segue into you just outlining for us a little bit who you are. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm a deer outreach specialist for the National Deer Association, uh, which means I get to do a lot in the outdoors always, which actually kind of works into who I am as a person anyways. I just grew up doing that. Uh, my father is a hunting outfitter and it was a really big deal for us to kind of live off the land. So that's essentially what we did. We gardened, we foraged, we hunted um, and kind of made, I'd say roughly 75% of our diets off of what we could harvest ourselves. So it worked hand in hand with my love for hunting as I grew up and kind of thankfully get to do that as a job today which I really appreciate yeah that's amazing and um <clears throat> Morgan might nerd out when I say this but we I saw in researching some of your background that you have put together an interpretive series about wild 
edibles, game recipes, and cooking. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So before I was with the National Deer Association, I actually um, worked with the Missouri Department of Conservation, and we did a lot of edible programs while I was there. And once again, I kind of grew up into it, but also kind of in my more adult life have even leaned more so into it. Um, I have Crohn's disease, which means that I kind of have lots of fun um, dietary restrictions, which, you know, is sometimes a bummer, but it actually gives me an opportunity to head out and to forage and kind of see hands-on the local options that I have in the woods behind my house. Um, so kind of basing off of that, uh, as I got into conservation education, I wanted to share that with people. Um, and we got to do lots of programs, usually seasonal wild edible programs, because of course, as we change from like spring to summer to fall, you get a whole variety of a whole new menu in the woods. So I would do lots of those. And then uh, cooking kind of comes hand in hand with that. I don't really want to just eat it as a survival tool. I want to enjoy it. Um, I, lo I love cooking. I want it to taste good. I don't just want to kind of grin and bear it. So uh, yeah, we do a lot of wild venison cooking, um, wild duck and waterfowl cooking, kind of anything I can get my hands on and try and make it as tasty as possible. I'm, I'm here for it. Same. Morgan, Same. You know, I'm, I'm leaving room for you here. <laughs> that is my MO as well. I love it. And I, I'm just kind of getting into the foraging. So we, we did a foraging day here in South Carolina uh, two weeks ago, um, but we hadn't had a lot of rain. So um, it was truly like hunting. Like we, everybody got together like, okay, we may not find anything. <laughs> just like when you go deer hunting, you may not see anything. Um, oh, absolutely. I think I saw that on the Instagram that you guys got together and did that. And it looked so fun. And I completely understand the hardships in foraging and hunting, this is, especially if you're going for like mushrooms. Oh my gosh, so weather dependent. And you just kind of cross your fingers and hope you find the exact right spot that day. I know. We were, we were going to do one this summer, which I don't think I was going to get a lot of interest because it was 800,000 degrees here in July. But we Relatively. did. Well, yeah, um, but the um, we didn't have a lot of rain. And so like the chanterelles this year were nilch um, compared to previous years when we got soaked. We had, you know, 20 pounds easily in the woods anytime you went out. So it is a very weather dependent. And, and we're, we're talking about doing um, another foraging day in the spring. So uh, it's interesting to see the different things that are out there. And, uh, and but it's very regional too. like what, what you find in your neck of the woods would be different than here, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think you mentioned chanterelles, and that's probably my favorite mushroom, which might be a little blasphemous, especially for our area, since people <laughs> love morels. They'll go to bat for morels, and I love them too. Don't get me wrong. I just think the chanterelle has so many more, I don't know, it's a more complex palate, and I think you can do a lot more with it versus just frying it. But uh, yeah, it changes from season to season and definitely region to region. So if you picked me up and dropped me in the southeast, I think I'd probably be a little lost. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I'll, I will starve out here and die. So <laughs> it would be a big change for sure from the Missouri wild edibles I'm used to. Sure. Well, and a lot, lot more testing and, and, and trial and error, I would think, too. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> Morgan, what mushrooms did you all find on the foraging day? Uh, we found some reishi, um, literally right by the driveway at, at the house. It was kind of funny. It's like I went out to open the gate for Jenny, the, the the woman that came and helped guide us. And I was like, oh, look, to the left, right here at the gate, where I've driven by every weekend for the past six months. And there it is. Um, so we found some really chunky reishi. We found lion's mane. Um, found some old chicken of the woods, which I was very sad about. Um, old, like you couldn't use it anymore. Yeah, I mean, like bleached out. But like, it's here. 
and inevitably it was all like right there. Like I've ridden through the woods searching for chicken of the woods all season long. And this was like 20, 20 feet in off the, the main road, but it was too old. So I was like, ah. Um, and then we found some um, a turkey tail, of course. That's usually everywhere. And lots of little brown mushrooms. <laughs> what does that mean? Just like random ones that you can't yeah. identify? Yeah, that are just gotcha. kind of generic, like uh, probably not edible, but not going to not gonna try either. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. That's funny. Uh, okay, so like you said, Carlin and Morgan, it's probably different very different depending on where you are um but if for somebody who just wanted to get out there and find something right now in this moment what would you say to look for that is a good question um it would kind of depend of course on region i would say something that's fun that i would pop out and look for right now is i like to use acorns Um, i'm not sure if you guys have done any acorn flower stuff but one, they're really fun to look for as a kid, just in general. They've got all kinds of different shapes. They come with a different species of tree. Uh, and I like to ground them up and make an acorn flower. Uh, I like to usually eat gluten-free stuff, and that is gluten-free. So, so that would be one thing that's usually pretty easy and also a safe bet um, for almost any area with any acorn producing mass tree. So that would be my first suggestion for the winter right now. If we were a little bit earlier... Um, I would say pawpaws are persimmons in like September, October. Those are some of my favorite fruit bearing trees. They're very sweet. They're in several areas of the region and they're very definitive to identify. So, you know, you're not eating something that's bad for you, but yeah, that'd be my suggestion. Love all of that. We, we need to go on the acorn tangent. I actually brought this up on the last episode that I've been like, since last year, I wanted to this year harvest white oak acorns um, cause fewer tannins, right. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make flour out of them. And my very cursory Googling revealed to me that basically you can use like a, you put them in a jar with water in the fridge. Maybe you shake them and change the water every day for like seven days and then dry them and grind them up in a blender or how do you do it? Yeah, that's essentially what I do. It's very similar to like, um, if you've ever done like an oat milk up thing if you've made your own oat milk very similar like the soaking process and then kind of that grinding in a blender um i make small batches because it is quite a bit of effort so, so i usually just make just enough for a couple of months and i don't save mine for a long time i probably could and should but you know grinding acorns is a is a timely task <laughs> so when you're trying to make other fall things like hunting and working doesn't work so well but yeah it's just kind of a soaking process and then that grinding up to turn it into a flower it's a little coarse so i'd say you know grind it way more than you think you should but i like it works in many ways sometimes not as flavorful as like your regular flower but you can add a little vanilla in there give it a bunch of flavor palettes lots of options so do you grind it or put in the blender while it's still wet and then dry it? I try to dry it before it's, um, before I do the grinding. So I'll do the soaking and kind of try and leaching out any less, any of those last tannins. Um, I definitely think white oak is better personally. Uh, and I think kind of across the board because of those lesser tannins than like say a red oak acorn. Um, but yeah, I'll soak them and then I try to like lay it out flat and I dry them. We also have a dehydrator. So sometimes I'll pop it in there and then we'll grind them. Morgan, you were going to say something. Yeah, and no, I was just thinking, so I saw a recipe the other day where you make mushroom flour. 
So mm. the mushrooms, grind those down and then add that to the flour and use that in variety of recipes, which I think would be delicious. Oh my gosh. I have never done that. I've done like dehydrated mushrooms for like throwing into a roast, but I've never turned them into a flour. I'm going to write that down, add that to my list <laughs> things to do. Well, you mean, you hear about people like drying turkey tail or lion's mane or yeah. some reishi even, and then like grinding them up. Like I have, I drink um, a mud water tea that is the com combination of all those things. And it's, you know, all into a fine powder. So I mean, th putting a little bit of that in the, uh, in the flour would be great, I think. I think it would add a lot of, making like cornbread or making even just like a regular bread, but adding a little mushroom flavor to it, oh, that'd be good. I think so. I feel like it would really cut some of those bitter flavors that acorns have. Oh, I'd love that idea. Yeah. All right. Report back when you guys have tried it. Because <laughs> I'm not going to be the one to do it. <clears throat> I wish I was. Uh, okay. So all of this acorn talk leads us to the obvious. We're recording this, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks before it's going to be released. It's mid-November. So it's deer season. Uh, please, both of you, maybe we'll start with Carlin. What's going on in your world relative to that? Yeah. Hunting. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. That's the first thing. We've got a firearm season opener here uh actually this weekend november 12th in missouri so that's really exciting but we've had a pretty good archery season as well kind of leading up so hunting just for my own personal sake and then a ton of mentored hunts um and field to fork events for the national deer association so that's that's all i'm doing just trying to soak up as much time in the woods as i can that's awesome morgan no kidding that is that is the ultimate goal is time in the woods so let's see, our season starts August 15th, but it's, I, I feel like I'm just complaining about the weather this whole podcast, <laughs> but it's too hot to do anything in South Carolina until um, probably about eh, closer to October. So I think we started hunting about then. Um, I've got one deer in the freezer, um, one very sad miss that I don't even want to talk about anymore. <laughs> and um, and then the rest of them, they, the, as I was telling Ashley earlier, the deer are stupid. They just don't want to come out and play. <laughs> um, I feel like we've had, an ex this is like the year, must be the year for red eggs in that they're just everywhere. Not as much white eggs, but red eggs. Y'all can probably correct me on that from a biology perspective. But I feel like we haven't seen the last two weeks, plus we've really had weather, hot weather. We've not seen the deer at all. We hunted last weekend and saw one deer in three sits. Um, they're all coming out at night. So... Hoping this weather, this good thing about this front coming in with this hurricane is that next week, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get them moving and I can get back on the woods. Hmm. Fingers crossed. I have one trail camera out right now on my garden, which is being demolished by a mystery deer. I imagine that he's a button buck or I guess a spike probably because I think it's only one deer. I don't know. I need to check the... I pulled it this morning when I was out in the garden with Charlie. I need to check it. Um, I have only been deer hunting once so far this year. I'm ashamed to admit, um, it was during our deer camp. And fortunately though, I got drawn for a quota hunt <clears throat> here in Tennessee in mid-December. And it's on a property that was, uh, one of the sites of where they developed the atom bomb. Um, so it's like a weird... Yeah. It, Say it again. Is it like deer with like glowing eyes and like weird unicorns and stuff? Yeah, they test everything for radiation that you harvest. So you have to go and check okay. it and they actually do it to take a tissue sample and test it. Um, and But the good news is because of COVID and the security restrictions around that area, the quota hunts haven't been held there for three years. 
Ow. So I have a doe only tag, but I can shoot three antlerless deer. So I'm like, this is my one shot. This is my one shot to go and stack them up. Honestly, I'll be proud of myself if I shoot one. That'll be awesome. But, oh my But gosh. yeah. And some, you know, some people got drawn for um, like either sex tags during rifle for the rifle hunt there this year. And that's like, wow, probably the most sought after tag in Tennessee this year, I'd say. Because either way, like you got, you got drawn with the doe tag and you'll see like the biggest buck of your life walk out, just stand there sticking his tongue out at you. (laughs) Probably. Honestly, I, nobody believes me. I feel like when I say this, but I saw so many big bucks during my uh, grad school days, like up close and personal because we were darting deer over bait. Um, I just, I would just be annoyed that I couldn't get the meat. (laughs) Like, don't get me wrong. Someday, if I shoot a nice buck with my bow, I'm going to be posting pictures like everybody else and so proud of myself. But it doesn't really get my blood pumping that much to just, like, see one out there. I definitely am venison hunting, usually. I It does get my but my blood pumping to see a huge one, that's for sure. But I, I'm definitely thinking of the meal that I'm going to make with it more than I am the antlers. I will say that. <laughs> Morgan, are you just calling BS on all this? No, I totally agree. Like, I, no, and, and kind of like the in-between. Like, I think, and I, I'm trying to figure it out because the, the buck that I missed this year, the deer that I missed was a giant buck. And it was, and, and the reason I missed it was because of buck fever. And so, you know, as, as I, you know, cried the whole night, I didn't really cry, but I was very upset, was that what what is it that makes us so nervous? Like, it's still a deer. It's the same rifle. It's the same skills why why in my mind do i get more excited and more not excited but more amped up over this giant buck than that beautiful giant nanny doe that just walked out like and so i've been sitting here trying to think through those type of things and i and i think it's just the rarity of them that's Mm -hmm. the only thing i could think of is that there's just something both culturally and biologically i mean just to see that big beautiful animal in its prime there's some it's a rarity that maybe gets us makes buck fever happen (laughs) i i believe it i think that's got to be what it is because you know we'll see probably a handful of does all of the time and especially like even if you're driving you know probably a chance you're going to run into one but those those monsters you're very lucky if you see one that season if you see one in the next two or three years so i think that's got to be part of that adrenaline rush the like oh my gosh this unique creature has finally stepped out in front of me you know it's my time my time to shine I guess well because it really takes I've always thought about this like oh good job good job shooting the buck it takes no less effort for me to pull the trigger on a buck than it does a doe other than to try to keep my nerves in check (laughs) the the physical effort of those two things at least in the way we hunt down here is not significant so I always try to kind of keep that in mind hoping that at some point when that buck, big buck does come out that I can keep myself calm enough to hit the damn thing. <laughs> oh gosh. I, I don't have any tips on how to eliminate buck fever except um, make the the stamp next to your name depend on it. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing that worked for me. I can remember when we started darting, I had a lot of experience catching deer prior to that, but not any experience darting at all um and I can remember having buck fever being really anxious and just being like man I gotta hit this thing like there's no other (laughs) I can't mess this up you know and all my technicians came well some not but for the most part they were able to overcome that too and I think 
just doing it every day. I mean, it was every day for six months and then again for three. But that's the way to cure it. You, you figured out the way to cure it. Yeah, just quit your job, win the lottery. <laughs> go sit in the woods all the time. Yeah. I think you say like you know, meat hunting. We had this conversation last night with a neighbor and she's, she, we, we love her and she loves us, but she's not a hunter, doesn't come from that background and really prefers to have her meat packaged in plastic and given to her from the grocery store. She doesn't like to see the meat connected to the animal. She's very clear about it. She's thought about it. I respect her opinion, but I told her like, you know, when I see that deer walk out now, like I see backstraps, like, mm-hmm. like to me, like I'm thinking about the meal that comes from that animal. So to me, there's like, there is no separation between those two things. So it's just kind of an interesting way of thinking about it versus she wants it separated. I'm like, nope, it's all in one. Absolutely. I think it's such an interesting mind shift that people have from when like, say you've harvested a deer and you start the skinning process from that being an animal to when it looks like meat to people. It seems like the ideology, the way they act almost changes within an instant from when it has kind of its animal lookingness to it. And when you, when you're hanging it and it looks like a a set of meat, all of a sudden that's a, okay. That's a kind of a grocery um, viewpoint. And I've seen it change so many times and it's, it's just interesting. Yeah. I don't have that split in my mind anymore, but I, I find it so interesting to hear people that feel that way and haven't, you know, kind of connected those two things yet. Carlin, I know NDA has has a wonderful field to fork program. I think you mentioned the work that you do with that. Do you see that a lot in the people that y'all bring to the table for the first time? Absolutely. Yeah, we really do see it a lot in our mentees. Um, Often it's kind of right after the harvest. That's a very, can be a very emotional thing. And especially with our field to fork program, we're working with adults. So they have a full grasp of, you know, what a harvest means in the end. And so often there's an emotional part post-harvest when we kind of walk up to the deer and there's a complete change when we get it back and we start processing it. Um, It feels like once, yeah, once we've skinned that animal out, all of a sudden we're like, hey, okay, everybody's gung-ho to get in there and start deboning and getting their steaks. But up until that point, sometimes there's a little bit of a hesitancy um, as they kind of wrap their brain around it and figure out where they're going from there. But yeah, it's, it's a big switch and I think we see it I don't want to say 100% of the time, but 70% a lot. I think the majority of the people are not, very rarely do people come face-to-face with their dinner in that way. Absolutely. It's it's a really fun program to watch the full spectrum, kind of that continuum of new hunter to someone who has harvested and is eating their food. Because we we literally take these adults from knowing nothing, maybe have never shot a firearm before. We'll teach them how to shoot a firearm. We'll do all kinds of deer and hunting education. Hopefully we harvest and then we show them how to process and we'll eat venison and some of their venison while we're there. And so it's just kind of a cool full circle moment. I would say it's a lot of fun. That is really cool. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our partners. I wanted to take a minute during this episode to let you know that Artemis is teaming up with Proas for an amazing giveaway during the month of November. We're giving away an entire outfit, including a trial pack, Tori pants, Tori jacket, cap, and a Tintry 2.0 shirt. The goal of this giveaway is to grow the social support network that exists for sportswomen, and all you have to do to enter is 
film and post a super short reel of yourself talking about what you're gonna do to enhance the social support that exists for sportswomen. So head on over to our Instagram or our Facebook for the specific guidance. Um, you need to follow Artemis and Proist, as well as use the hashtag supporting women afield in your posts. Um, we'll link to that guidance in the show notes. So make your video today, post it, and enter to win this incredible, incredible giveaway. For more than 100 years, pheasant hunting has been a storied South Dakota tradition. Now, for the next century, South Dakota is focused on expanding pheasant hunting's horizons, welcoming more sportswomen to the field, giving them a greater voice in the hunting community. That's a legacy to stand the test of time. Want a shot at free gear and an even greater adventure? Enter for a chance to win DSG Outerwear Gear and the Hunt of a Lifetime with Melissa Bachman of the Sportsman Channel. Learn more at huntthegreatestsd.com forward slash DSG. And we're back. So before the break, we were talking about deer hunting. And Carlin, I'm curious, do you shoot uh, lead or non-toxic ammunition? I currently still shoot lead. Um, I'm very interested in non-toxic. I like the movement. I like where it's going. And I think ultimately that's kind of a good theory and a good place to be. So I'm hoping to move forward on that continuum, but currently still, still lead. I was curious. The reason that I asked is because you mentioned uh, having Crohn's disease and I didn't know if that maybe would, I don't know a lot about that, um, if that would impact it or not. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about um, lead or like lead poisoning uh, hurting for Crohn's disease necessarily. It does help a lot that venison is such a lean meat. So Crohn's kind of affects like your digestive system. It's essentially your body uh, fighting your intestines. <laughs> they think they're not supposed to be Jeez. there. Um, so it helps when you have lean meat that's a lot easier for you to digest. And as long as you're not kind of inflaming um, any of your digestive system, you're good to go. So that really helps. But I haven't looked into any lead issues and I haven't seemed to have any issue so far. But uh, still, once again, I'd really like to take a step in that direction. I'm kind of hoping maybe next season. I've been been pushing forward to it and I need to kind of do some practice with it. But that's the plan. Cool. Very cool. So again, on the topic of deer hunting, uh, your family, actually, I think your father was the chef, recently hosted a wild game dinner for the participants um, at our most recent Artemis, Missouri deer camp. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. It was so much fun. Um, one of the Artemis ambassadors, Carrie Swain, put it on and it was her idea. She had called me up one day. We'd connected on Facebook um, through one of the Artemis women's groups and she was like, so I have this idea. And I said, oh my gosh, how can I help? <laughs> That's so great. I was like, I'm here for it. I have never been a part of a fully um, female hunting camp ever. So I was ready for it to be life-changing for me and hopefully life-changing for the ladies as well. Um, and because my father is an outfitter, um, he does all of the cooking and stuff in camp. And because we eat so much wild game, I said, well, we're going to be so close. Um, where we were hunting was the national forest land that surrounds my family's private property. I said, well, let's pop over there. We're, we were going to do primitive camping for the whole weekend and head out and go hunting, which is awesome. But often, you know, a lot of hard work. It's really strenuous. And so I said, well, let's head over Thursday night, have a little wine and wild game, get a little fancy <laughs> before we, um, you know, start camping and kind of smelling like the woods for the next two or three days. So 
Uh, my dad prepared some local venison that was shot in the area and everything on the plate for the whole um, three course meal was everything that was harvested off of our property. So all of the vegetables, um, all of the venison, and it was all dairy-free, gluten-free. And we kind of had some wine that I think uh, Carrie brought some Missouri wine. So we were very locally focused and it was such a fun meal because all of the ladies kind of went around the horn and talked about how they got into hunting and like how women influenced that aspect of it. And I, I was almost tearing up. I was trying to be, you know, professional sitting in the corner, but <laughs> it, it's such a good feeling to be around other women. And we had such a wide age range and um, from so many different places in the state and outside of the state of Missouri. And it was beautiful. And I think most of us after the end of the weekend, were like hunting buddies for life. So <laughs> all of us are texting each other like, oh, you coming up this weekend to go hunting or, oh, hey, we're going out to South Dakota to hunt pheasants. Do you want to come? Um, and it's just, it was a phenomenal experience. I can't thank Carrie enough for coming up with the idea, hosting the whole thing. Um, it was great on her part. And we loved cooking the wild game and kind of food is our love language, if you couldn't tell by this podcast. <laughs> so... So, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. And that was kind of how it all came about. It sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'm going to come come next year. I know. We yes. experienced the same thing at our deer camp. We didn't have the quite the chef that y'all did, but we, we had the same thing and just women sitting around the table together that had never hunted with women before. And so had, uh, they, they all had hunting experience and kind of like you said that you had never done that um, it was it was so unique and so special, and and there was lots of emotions tied up in it, um, and the people stepping out of their comfort zone and and their their respective hunt clubs or their backyards or out of their underneath their husband's wing in some cases, and really getting out there on their own. It was it was great. Absolutely, I think we had um, one of our youngest participants was in college. And I had actually known her my whole life. She'd been hunting with her family and under her dad, kind of with uh, my father as an outfitter. And it was such a wild moment to watch her go from, I think I watched her growing up since she was like three or four and hunting to doing it all herself. She hiked in a mile carrying her um, hang on stand. She picked out her spot and I, I had never gotten that experience to watch her do it all by herself. And she hadn't either. And it was just like a oh, wow, <laughs> look at us go. You know, we don't we don't need those silly men, bless them, but, <laughs> but we don't need them. And so uh, it was great. It was so much fun. I, I can't hype about it enough. Yeah, we're going to have to go next year, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. So if, if I... Guns and wine, I'm, I'm in. Not at the same time, but all those things <laughs> together make me happy. Same weekend, yeah. Very cool. Um, okay, so... I also know, Carlin, correct me if I'm wrong, you are a certified hunter ed instructor, mm -hmm. which is just very cool to me. Um, and I wonder kind of if you could tell us just a little bit about how you came to be in your current role and maybe what your favorite thing is about it, if it's yeah. not the field to fork thing that you already talked about. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's probably my favorite thing about it. I can't can't lie. Mentored hunts are just my bread and butter. I think I almost enjoy a mentored hunt more than I enjoy personally hunting now, which probably, probably shouldn't say that, but I do probably cry at more of those <laughs> than I should. But uh, yeah, I came kind of into the hunting world. I, I grew up in it. I remember somebody asking me like, oh, when did you decide you liked hunting? And I thought I didn't know that was a choice. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I grew up in the hunting outfitting world. And then when I went to college, I had initially thought, 
I'm going to be a doctor. So, you know, fancy me. And then I went to a class where we were, it was an ecology class and we were trying to identify spiders and we were outside all day. And I was like, wait a second, this is, this is way better. This is where I belong. Uh, so after college, I got to do some research things and I came back and worked for my father uh, as a whitetail guide and got a lot, even more hands-on experience, kind of helping to run that side of the business and being fully immersed in it. And I had a little free time in the summers, as we know, hunting season isn't crazy right around then. And I thought I would volunteer for the Missouri Department of Conservation. And when I went in for that interview, they said, hey, we have a, a paying job. Would you rather do that? And, and I said, yeah, that sounds great. So um, I got to be a naturalist for the Missouri Department of Conservation. And that's kind of how I became hunter education certified and all of these um, outdoor uh, recreational outreach things, because that's what we did a lot as naturalists for MDC was anything and everything that could get the public uh, interested and enjoying Missouri's nature. So that's how I fell into it. And I think the education portion of being outdoors is for sure my favorite part. I love it so much that I feel like I can't contain it in all five foot two of me. <laughs> so I just need to share it with anyone and everyone. Um, often even hikes with just like my sister, she, she'll go, that's, that's enough, Carly. I, I've heard about that plant already. Please calm down. So, so that's probably my favorite part, but that's how I uh, came to be in it. And I just, I love any kind of education that can get people outdoors and in the woods. That's so cool. I can definitely hear and feel your passion for this coming through as you talk about that. Oh, good. I hope I'm not ranting. You can just say, that's enough, Carly. We get that you love it. <laughs> no, we love to hear about things that people love for sure. Uh, okay, we are going to transition. I want to hear about one of your favorite moments in the field. Normally we ask this question in the field or on the water, but for you, I'm assuming it's going to be in the field. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. I'm going to sit and think for a second. Um, I hate to say probably a mentored hunt, but probably I had the experience last year to take my best friend um, hunting on her first deer hunt ever. And she had grown up kind of shooting rifles with her family, but had never done the harvesting side of that. And that was such an exciting experience. Uh, I got to film the whole thing and she did it all by herself. Uh, I think I keep talking about me crying on this, <laughs> on this chat. So that's my bad. But, uh, I think, you know, myself, my husband, uh, eventually showed up after we had field dressed it and we're heading out. And I think he was crying. We were all just so excited. Uh, and I think watching the joy on her face was beyond anything I can experience. And it, almost any mentor hunt, it does feel that way. Just Last couple weekends ago, I was mentoring for a youth hunt and um, the young gal I was mentoring shot a deer and we did a little celebratory dance in the woods and that was it. I was like, yeah, approved. <laughs> Great time. Favorite memory. <laughs> One of those things. But yeah, I'd say those. Those are good. Those are good ones. I love the the little dance. I can I can picture that. I don't think I've ever done that, but I can definitely picture it. Neither have I. I think I could tell she was just on the edge of her nerves, like so excited and didn't know what to do. And so she started jumping up and down. And so I was like, well, I'll jump up and down too. <laughs> and then we just kind of started spinning and we were jumping and her dad was there with us. And I think he thought we were going crazy, but it was good. It was like a nice little, you know, 
a ritual in the woods as we were hanging out and dancing around a dead deer. (laughs) Yeah, you you gotta, you gotta get that energy out. Oh, absolutely. Morgan, have you had a moment like that? Um, Y'all don't dance by yourselves. That's weird. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I think every time, um, every time I shoot a deer, every time I shoot anything, there's a celebration there. Because I think you got, and, and I've heard old hunters say this, that the, the times that they don't feel excited anymore is a time for them to stop. And I got energy to spare. I've got excitement to spare. I get, I get pumped every time. So um, I, if you're peeking over the uh, the stand, I'm probably doing some type of wiggling. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> we need to name this something. This is a thing. I'm, I'm sensing. Thing. Yeah. We need to TM it, you know. <laughs> market it as just the one phrase for the post hunt dancing i definitely have like the you know like clenched fist like rock your arm like i feel like that's what i do but i feel like i'm always so zoned in on like where did it go where was the shot blah 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 and then it leaves and then i just start watching the clock like how soon how soon i'll caveat my answer now if it now if it's a we call it white belly that's the text mm. that goes out around our family if the deer drops it's white belly that means it's there and that's that's when i dance and until that i see that white belly i'm probably not dancing but i've tracked it 300 yards or 200 yards and then i find it then i'm gonna dance <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm with you until until you get to it maybe that's the better but when it drops that is that's the best feeling when you know you've done everything right and that deer didn't have a bad day, a bad five minutes of running through the woods. It it was enjoying its morning and then it fell. That's that that's a great feeling. Absolutely. Well, there it is, the white belly dance. <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> that's it. I love that. Oh my gosh, my dad would love. That's okay. Crazy. I that phrase came from him, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you've uh continued it on then with a new little twist good um okay I feel like really I feel like I could sit here and talk with you two about this for probably like six more hours but we can't let the podcast go that long so um we are going to transition to our weekly closer hits and misses uh so what have you been aiming for and how did it go and I think maybe Morgan can start us off um I already told you the story of missing my buck that's been a recent miss you didn't tell us the story. You just told us that you missed it. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. So they were, we've been seeing them on the cameras and I felt like the rut was on. So we were hunting, um, I was hunting this area called, um, it's the new road and the gum pond, kind of two spots on either side of the stand and seen some doe activity, but it, this was probably in early September and a doe walked out and one of the fawns had spots. And that early in the year, generally my rule is if it had spots, I'm not going to take the doe, you know, just, which is, of course, goes against the, um, if you d- wouldn't shoot at the first day of the season, don't wait the last type of thing. But that was my call. So I, the does and the fawns went off. And then um, a little while later, the this doe came across. But as soon as the deer behind it, I thought it was going to be another bunch of does. But as soon as the deer stepped out, I didn't, remember, I didn't even see the rack. All I saw was the body. And I was like, that's a shooter. Like, done. It's going to get shot at. And I could just tell from the body and, and we were shooting for meat. I wasn't, aim- I wasn't trying to shoot a buck, but he was going to come out. And, and our rule generally on the property is we like to shoot older deer. If it takes your breath away, then that's a shooter. Um, and for, and that can be different for a 12 year old boy shooting his first deer versus an 80 year old woman shooting her first deer. I mean, breath of, taking your breath away is different things. 
but this deer with this size took my breath away, which is probably why I started shaking. And it stepped out in the middle. I think I grunted at it and it stopped, took a step and I shot and it, it turned and ran away from me, maybe like three or four yards and was quartered away from me, just standing there, not shot. And I was so perplexed. Like, how did that deer not, not, not get shot? And so I took another breath at this point, shaking even worse. Um, and these are the lessons that are learned. And so I, I aimed um, at that quarter shot, which is not a shot I usually take. Usually I only take broadside, but in my head, I could see directly where the heart was and I felt like it was a good shot. Anyway, I shot again and he kicked up his feet, took his, threw his tail up and took off. Mm. And it was still daylight. And so our rule is when we shoot and we think we miss and it's still daylight, you get down, go ahead and mark it with some toilet paper or some flagging or something if you can find the initial blood and then get back in the stand um, just to get that initial blood trail started. So I got down, searched the whole area, no blood, nothing. And so got back up in the stand and this was early. I was still sick. So I did the grunt call again. I called in two more bucks that night. Neither one of them were shooters. That guy never came back out. I didn't shoot a deer that night. We searched again, nothing, nobody's seen him. He lives on. <laughs> Dang. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing because I have had all of these feelings before. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and then to kick it off, and I'll, I'll just say this, my little brother who I love dearly, but he drives me crazy. Two weeks later, killed a big buck on that exact same stand. First time, only time he'll hunt this year and he dropped a buck in that stand. So there's that too. <laughs> just to add, just to add a little to it. Yeah, it was, it was a learn. And that's the way I think about it. I try to put it in the category of learning experience. There's things that I could have done to calm myself down. He wasn't, I felt like he was chasing the doe, but I should have waited and taken another breath. And, you know, the, you know, and the only way to never miss again, I'm sure y'all both have heard this. There's only one way to never miss again. And that's to never shoot again. Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to do that so we'll see what happens next week <laughs> oh rooting for you yep <laughs> so that's my miss story hopefully y'all have a better a hit a story to to counter that with I mean that's a that might be our best miss story on the podcast Morgan at least in the time that I've been hosting it that was a good that was a good miss story okay I Carlin can, can I not out <laughs> again please <laughs> <laughs> well now it's recorded so you don't have to you can just press play <laughs> Um, I don't have any recent hits. I'm hoping that this upcoming firearm season is is it for me. That's my goal. Um, I don't have a miss, but I have a an embarrassing story from this last week where I really uh, thought I had had the deer in my sights. But I was heading over to go see my dad and hang out at our farm, and I was pulling up kind of along our gravel road, and right out in front of me, just barely beneath a tree branch, I saw just the tip of a tine. And I was like, oh my gosh. I immediately slam on the brakes and I just right away call my dad. I'm like, hey, I, I'm, I think there's a buck right in front of me. I can't see him fully yet. Of course he has clients in. So I'm thinking, okay, how, how can this turn out to be a positive thing for them? <laughs> um, I'm frozen. I'm like, do I move my car? Do I stay here and just keep it running so that this buck you know, pays attention to me and maybe somebody can sneak into the woods underneath and get in position. Uh, nothing's happening. And my dad's picking up and talking to me and all of a sudden he just seems too, too happy about this. 
and he's not really making any plans of action. He's like, oh yeah, you see it? He's like, is it big? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I can only see like a couple of times, but I can see the edge of an ear and it's outside of the ear. So I think so, you know, um, I'm like, I, I'm afraid to pull forward. And he goes, well, I need to know how big it is. Like, are you sure? It, it sounds really big. And I'm trying to tell him, I, you know, get some of our guys out here, man. What do you mean? And uh, I pull forward and my delightful cousin that also works for us had put a decoy in the perfect spot where a deer, <laughs> where a deer should be. Uh, just beautifully nestled him kind of on the edge of the tree line. And when I got back to camp, everyone was laughing at me. So, <laughs> so uh, that's my definite miss. <laughs> oh, sure. I love that. that down. Sorry. <laughs> pranks, <laughs> pranks are the best. Yep. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm struggling right now. I should have prepared something. I'm just like drawing a blank, hit or miss. I don't know. I mean, ongoing debacle with the deer that's marauding my garden. So we can call that a miss for now. I, I've, unf- well, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, I live with a game warden who I'm married to. <laughs> so not that I would go around breaking the law anyway, but I've really tried to talk about like, okay, this could be a depredation permit. Like, there's a way to do this. And he's like, no game warden's going to write that. I was like, well, I can ask the county game warden if you're not willing to do it. (laughs) And thus far, I haven't had any success. So until it starts coming out during shooting light, I just need to beat it to the vegetables, I think. Yeah, maybe colder, colder, you know, plant like some collard or some good brassicas or something, and it'll just kind of... It'll uh, start coming in daylight. Could you shoot it at your house, though, in your backyard? If it, if it did come out in daylight, you're not in the city or anything, right? I'm not in the city. Legally, I could. Safety-wise, I mean, I would shoot it with a bow. Um, safety-wise, there are some safe directions. I've thought a lot about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it would have to it would have to line up well. But Anyway, thank you so much, Carlin, for joining us. Um, this was a great conversation. It was it was really great to hear about your life and kind of your story and your passion for all things outdoors. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun chit-chatting with you guys. So I just hope to see you next year at the women's camp. That's the goal. Yeah, I mean, I want to. I want that three-course wild game <laughs> dinner. I want to taste that. That sounds good. Heck yeah. Absolutely. And if you ever come this way, Carly, let me know. Oh, absolutely. Always good to get some more hunting buddies. I'm here for it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. We hope you're having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, and get outside. Thank you.